You know, uh, in last week's sermon, Tracy talked about how busy the holiday season can be. And uh, I've definitely been feeling that. Uh, I know the students have been feeling that. This week is uh, finals week uh, for them. And with that comes a lot of different things. Uh, I know that they've got final projects and papers and uh, exams to study for. Uh, it, it can feel really busy. Uh, on Friday, we had our campus ministry uh, Christmas party. And of course, uh, yesterday was the, was the holiday brunch. And like Tracy mentioned, on Wednesday, we're going to all come together again and, and have desserts together. And uh, it's just, it, it's a lot of fun. Um, in the campus ministry specifically, we're trying to, you know, connect with people in whatever way we can over the next week or so, even though it's busy because we know some of them won't be coming back until the second or third week in January. And so with that comes a lot of, well, can you meet at this time? Can you meet at this time? I've got to, st- I got to, but we're still trying to make it work. And it can just feel so busy. It's a lot. Uh, you know, in, in order to really appreciate this time of year and what it's all about, we've really got to focus on being deliberate with our relationship with God and with our relationships with one another. There's a lot of distractions everywhere, and if we're not deliberate, uh, then the holiday season will just kind of happen to us rather than us be maybe positively impacted by what it's really all about. Uh, Tracy asked us the question, you know, do we give much thought about our worship? And prayerfully, you've thought about that question over this past week. Am I really deliberate and intentional when I am thinking about my relationship with God? Or is it just kind of happening to me? Am I just coasting on autopilot? Kind of like the holiday season can happen to us in that same way. Um, He also mentioned, and this stuck with me all week, and so I've been thinking about it and chewing on it and thinking, but when we come together on a Sunday morning, we celebrate what we already are and what we already have. Unless, of course... Uh, you're somebody who hasn't yet become a disciple of Jesus. And then maybe that's why you're here this morning. You're still trying to figure that out. Is this what I want in my life? Is this something that I'd like to pursue in my life? No, but either way, in order for your relationship with God to progress, whether you're right in the very beginning stages of it, or if you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, you still need to have deliberate focus. Um, and it's not just focus during these corporate times of worship, but it's, it's focus in your daily walk. The purpose of our Sunday services together, uh, they're about coming in and worshiping God, not just being given to. You know, it's the opposite of just being given to. And these times we meet together and we're pouring ourselves out, actually, in worship to our great God. And I don't just mean the singing either, right? It's the preaching of the word and the commitment to put God's principles into action in our lives. It's humbling ourselves to his ways. It's how we treat one another. It's teaching downstairs in Kid Street. It's contributing financially to the church. It's denying ourselves. And so with these things in mind, I just want to, you know, ask us a question this morning. You know, what are we, what are we really waiting for? What are we waiting for? And now, that question can mean a lot of different things, uh, depending on where you put the emphasis in the question. You know, what are you waiting for? Okay, that, that's one question. What are you waiting for? Make it all about yourself. What are you waiting for? You know, you can put the emphasis on different parts of the question, and it all of a sudden seems to mean different things. But I think that's the question that will string together our thoughts this morning. Uh, let's go over to Matthew chapter 7. It's a familiar passage, comes in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, some of Jesus' famous 
uh, and most well-known teachings. And I want us to look at this passage just for a moment and uh, look at it in light of that larger question of what are we, what are we waiting for? Matthew 7, verse 7 says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Ask, seek, knock. We see a progressive intensity here, going from asking to seeking to knocking. Jesus is telling us to have intensity and passion and persistence in our prayer life, specifically. This verse is in the context of talking about prayer. And in this threefold description of prayer, we see different aspects of prayer and different aspects of its reward, depending on how we treat it and how we go about doing it. Praying is like seeking, because when we search after God and His Word and His will, then we're promised that we can find Him. And isn't that encouraging? We're given this promise, hey, if you seek after God, you can actually, you can find him. That's, that's encouraging. Finding is the reward of seeking. Uh, prayer is also like uh, knocking until the door is opened. We're seeking entrance into this great presence where God is. It's the great palace of our king. And we can come into the Lord's presence as a reward of just knocking. It's the best reward of all. But we're supposed to, of course, ask with uh, confidence and humility and have perseverance. There's, you know, just even the idea of knocking means that the door is closed and there's some work that's required for you to actually have that door opened up to you. If the door were already open, then there would be no need to do any knocking. You just kind of walk right in. But there's some resistance. It doesn't just happen. Ask and it'll be given to you. Yet God promises an answer to someone who is diligently seeking him, diligently trying to find him. Now, I'd venture to guess that for some of us, many of our prayers aren't answered for good reason, and it's because we're almost asking uh, God to care about something that we don't even genuinely care about ourselves. We just kind of flippantly throw out requests to God and, and expect for him to care about it more than we are caring about it. Well, no, actually, if we were persistent and really passionate about it, then, then maybe would God's ears would even perk up a little bit more and say, oh, maybe he really does want this. Here's the simple truth. Okay, you know, your spiritual progress, wherever you're at, if you're in the beginning of your relationship with God, or, like I've said, you've walked with the Lord for many years, your spiritual progress is dependent on asking and seeking and knocking. And not just asking once or seeking once or knocking once. It's not like the door's open to you and now you always have it. You know, your spiritual progress is dependent on your willingness to continue asking and to continue seeking and to continue knocking. And certainly this should be true in the area of prayer and, and how we pray, but it's also true in every other area of your life. And so the question that we've got to then ask ourselves is the question that we started with, what am I, what am I waiting for? What am I waiting for um, in the process of asking and seeking and knocking? Are we content with exactly where we are? What are we waiting for to maybe kick it up to the next level? to try to give more and be more engaged, to find out more. Because certainly, 
uh, if there was any one topic that we could know more about, it would be the Lord. It would be his goodness and his ways. We can always learn more about that. And so what is it that's maybe holding us back from wanting to do more? You know, I think that there's somebody who really understands this concept, and that's David. In uh, Psalm 63, I'm just going to read one verse from there. Psalm 63. He says this when he's in uh, the desert of Judah. And so just imagine you're in a desert, (laughs) I was talking about uh, just living in the Midwest, and I'm like, the Midwest is awesome uh, because, uh, I mean, we're, we're not like burning up all the time, and we're not freezing all the time. We kind of get a mix. You know, we have to deal with the occasional tornado or something like that, but like wildfires and earthquakes, and the Midwest is kind of, it's, it's a nice place to be. You know, but imagine you were in a desert, okay? You're in a desert, and, and David is writing this as he's in a desert. He says, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Um, Over Thanksgiving break, uh, my family and I uh, have gotten into this tradition where we do a turkey trot. Uh, Are there any like turkey trot families? No. All right. Okay. Uh, It's like... On a day where I can watch football and just like sit on the couch and eat food, it's like, let's just change all that and run a turkey trot. And I'm like, okay, great idea, guys. You know, and so now our family is doing this. But uh, it's hosted in uh, the town where I went to high school. And so I go back, and it's kind of nostalgic. You know, it's, uh, it's the, 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 it starts in the front of where my high school was, and, you know, and it ends there as well. And so you kind of run around the neighborhood, and I'm like, I, you know, I've gone up and down these streets a lot of my life, and, you know, you're going up and down. And uh, uh, before we started, my brother and I and my dad uh, were like, man, it's freezing out here in addition to running and, you know, waking up early and not watching football and, you know, all this. Now it's cold as well. So we're, 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 uh, we, we go into the, the gym where we used to have a wrestling practice. And my brother and I wrestled all through high school. And uh, we, we were just trying to stay warm until the race started and, you know, kind of get warmed up. Get, get pumped up to go. And then I, when I walk in, I just instantly was hit with this nostalgia of wrestling and wrestling practice and what it was like. And uh, there are these, these old um, uh, porcelain uh, sinks. And I just remembered, like I had an instant flashback. I got, I got into the gym and I had this instant flashback of, oh, right. Man, in the middle of wrestling practice, you don't just go get a drink when you're thirsty. No, you get a drink when the coach says, okay, it's time to go get a drink, right? And so we would be doing, you know, all sorts of ridiculous uh, running back and forth and these drills and just losing your, your body weight in water and sweat and just desiring to have a drink. And just, I mean, I want a drink. And you can see this beautiful white porcelain <laughs> sink, like, like the, the, you, know, you know, one of those, uh, those old school uh, water fountains where you turn it on and it's like a mini fire hydrant worth of water. You know, it's just like gushing out. And it, you, you, I just had this nostalgic feeling of, man, I can't remember a time when I was so thirsty and wanted water so bad and just wanted the drills to end so that I could just go get a drink. And, and, and it, it was just this nostalgic feeling. And of course, I've got the smell of like the wrestling room and the, the trophies and the and I but I'm just like transported back and I'm thinking man that was the thirstiest I've ever been and 
I, I just remembered that, and as I was reading this this week, I'm like, that's the best I can get, where it's just you want it so bad. You do anything for it to stop so you can go get a drink. And I, I, I'm trying to relate that to my relationship with God, and it's so, so much more tangible to think, man, I was so thirsty I wanted a drink. But it's, it's a little bit more difficult to say, man, I want God so bad. I want him so bad. I just, I've got to satisfy this longing to get some more God and some more of him inside of me. It, it, you have to grab on to wanting it so bad. You know, are you that thirsty? Do you thirst for God? Do you long for him? Does it inspire you to earnestly seek after him? So think, think, about, think about this for a moment. So in the full arc of human history, I think we recognize that we're living in a pretty good time. I think we, 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 we generally understand that. And really, uh, the bad things that happen in the world, they're not unique to our time. Um, we just know about them more. You know what I'm saying? So like uh, war and, uh, and, and trauma and destruction and disease and all these things, we hear about it instantly, and then, and then we think, oh, man, we, we're living in a tough... Well, no, actually, those things have always been. Now we just hear about them quicker, and it, it's easier to have access to that information. But, you know, um, it, it's so easy for us to kind of walk through this life and kind of forget about the good things that we have. Um, just the other, you know, Amazon makes it so easy, right? Like anything you want, you just say, hey, I, I need this. And a uh, good example, we were doing worship rehearsal like last week and uh, thinking about the songs that we're going to play on the 22nd and we're going through it. And uh, uh, Mark's like, hey, aren't there some jingle bells in this song? And then Steve's like, yeah, I think so. I'm like, well, we could use a tambourine. And uh, we're in this discussion of like, you know, do we have jingle bells for this song that we need on the 22nd? And then uh, all of a sudden, Steve looks up and like, yep, they're on their way. I'm like, what's on their way? The jingle bells. I've ordered them. They're on the way. And uh, like, we, we were just talking about the possibility of needing them for a song. And within 20 seconds, of fa- like, yeah, they're on their way. I'm like, oh, wow. It's like a magical Amazon elf that's just going to bring us. And oh, and here they are. Here they are. There you go. They're, they're, the jingle bells, they're here. I have nowhere to put this. Okay. You know, but that's not even really what I'm talking about. We understand, right? We understand that we live in a pretty good time, and in general, life is pretty easy for us in the grand scheme and arc of human history. But, but think about this. Think about, what about living before the time of Jesus? Just think about that. For millennia, waiting, longing, desiring, earnestly seeking after the person of Jesus entering into history to then affect everything about everything. Just try, try to, though, just think about living before Jesus. In Genesis, we get Adam, and he comes as the first man, and there, there's some promise towards the relationship of God being perfectly united and, and wonderful in the garden. And we see that relationship between Adam and Eve. And, and, and in that, we get a little bit of the personhood of Jesus right from the beginning. In Exodus, Jesus is hinted at as the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he, we, we start to get these codes that now order 
our holiness and the status of our holiness and our cleanliness before God. But, but without Jesus, it, it's never really fully holy. We're never really fully clean. There's never a sacrifice that, that any animal can fully cover over the sin of man that we're separate from God. In, in Numbers, we see that He's a pillar of, of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, Moses has some Jesus-like qualities as he's leading God's people out of, I mean, look, out of slavery into a new and promised land. But then they get to the promised land. And in the promised land, things... Oh, actually, there's people that live in the promised land. And we're going to need war heroes. We're going to need people to fight you know, enemy peoples that are worshiping false gods because they're in the promised land. <laughs> that doesn't seem so good. In, in Judges, we... <laughs> In Judges, there's a hint of like, well, we need some leadership. Maybe these warlords will take care of it for us. And in Judges, we see the cycle of sin and redemption that needs to take place. Judges sets up perfectly the need for a king. No, 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 no. What God's people really need is a king. And then they get a king. And things don't really go how they would hope that they would go. All of these things are pointing towards the perfect personhood of Jesus. The Messiah, Jesus. This is all pointing towards Him. But imagine living and dying in that time. Imagine your kids and their kids and their kids and their kids going through all of these different stages where you don't have Jesus. It it, it starts to make you wonder, like, have I lost some of the wonder of just Jesus? Have I, have, I, have I lost some of the amazing, amazing truth of Christmas and what it really will bring? There's, there's millennia worth of waiting and it's all satisfied in who Jesus is. Let's go over to Luke chapter 2 and I want to show you somebody that I think really understands this waiting. In Luke chapter 2, This is now after Jesus has been born. And, uh, you know, he goes through all of the purification rites that are required by the law of Moses. And now it's time for Joseph and Mary to take him uh, to Jerusalem and to present him in the temple to the Lord, okay? Uh, This is uh, written in the law that every firstborn male is to be uh, consecrated to the Lord. And so this sacrifice is offered. Uh, I think that this is where the... uh, so it says a pair, in verse 24 of Luke chapter 2, it says a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So like two turtle doves. That's, that, there, there it is. That, that's what it's from. <laughs> and a partridge. I don't know about the partridge, uh, but, but these are the two turtle doves. Okay, they're, they're consecrated, sacrificed uh, for, for Jesus in this time. Okay, uh, and let's start now and we'll read in verse 25. That was just a fun fact. You know, fun fact, you know, if you're doing Christmas trivia, whatever, maybe it'll help you. Okay. <laughs> Verse 25 says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required... 
Simeon took him in his arms and he praised God. Let's, before we get to what he says, imagine being Simeon. He understands that for hundreds, no, thousands, no, since the beginning of time, there's this Savior who's been awaited. Imagine you're the guy. You're, you're the guy. You're Simeon. And, and, and Mary and Joseph come, and the Holy Spirit has told you, it's time. The Messiah is here. Can you imagine being him? And so now, looking, looking in his arms at this little baby Jesus, he praises the Lord and he says this, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Just imagine. Imagine the, 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 the majesty, the glory of this moment. You know what he's saying? Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. What, 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 that's a fancy way of saying, I can die now because I've seen Jesus. That's it. I've got it all. This is great. That's it. Is that, is that, how, you, is that how you feel about having Jesus in your life? I'm ready to go, baby. Take me home. I've got the Holy Spirit in me. That's it. It's over. I'm going home. Do you get it? Does it inspire you at all? Do you feel it at all? Are you so wrapped up about what you have here? Hey, if you've got the Holy Spirit and you're with Christ, you go home. You know, and Paul wrestles with this back and forth, and he wrestles with this, and he says, man, if it weren't for these people, if it weren't for these people, that I, they, don't ha- they, they don't have this. I've got to communicate. Man, I've got to let them know what they have. I can't go yet. I've got work to do. That's the only, that's the only thing that holds him back. He, he says, man, I would go home today if it weren't for... And then he looks to the crowds and he sees the people and the need for Jesus in their life. They don't know it yet. They don't know. They don't know that they're, re- that they're not ready because they don't have this one thing. You can dismiss your servant in peace. First of all, he, he, de- he defines himself as a servant. He understands that he's at peace and he wants to be dismissed. He, he sees that salvation is now here. And God, you've been preparing this for millennia. And, and here I am. I, I get to be blessed by having Jesus right here with me. Verse 33. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And likely uh, that, that would be the case. He would feel that. Uh, then Simeon blessed them and he said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet Anna, the, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. And she never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. 
And coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Can you imagine being Anna, the daughter of Penuel? You know, she, she was, this, this one, this struck me a little bit more. And I, I just mentioned it's my, um, uh, my anniversary today, right? And it's our seven-year anniversary, right? And I'm, I know I'm a young man. I know I'm a young man. But I'm, I'm, I'll be 30 in uh, February. And uh, I'm just, I was thinking through that. I'm like, what if Michelle died sometime in between now and February? You know, we just experienced our seven years together. How would I do? Like, how, how, would, I, how, how would my faith do? How, how would I do spiritually? Prayerfully, like, I would just, you know, I, I would have the, the arms of the congregation wrapped around me, and I, I'd have brothers and sisters that lift me up in a difficult time, and, and, and I'd be able to find a way. But, yeah, it would be hard. And it would be hard. And, and my heart goes out to those that have lost, lost uh, loved ones and close ones, especially in, in this time uh, of the holiday season. It can hurt even more. And uh, to, to the Merkels, uh, our heart goes out to you. And, and we, we, we hurt with you. And uh, Rick, uh, man, losing your it, it hurts. And we, we, we can't even express the kind of uh, love and, and appreciation uh, when something like that happens. We just want to lift people up. But can you imagine? <laughs> and uh, you're faithful. Then? You know, okay, I've been married seven years, and now I'm, I'm going to be faithful until I'm 84, and I never left the temple and I worshipped night and day, praying and fasting. Why? Why was, she, why was she able to be given the strength to do that? Because she was waiting for the hope of the glory of the Messiah. And then that waiting was fulfilled on that day. Can you imagine being Anna? It would be so encouraging. Man, I've waited all this time. And even though I've experienced pain and hardship and hurt in my life, I, I have everything that I need right here. At that moment, she gives thanks to God. And she spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Within her was this fire then that she went around and told everybody that she could about the Savior that had come. She said, this is our hope. This is our redemption. And she shared that. And when Joseph and Mary, I mean, they're blown away at this point. You know, you can only imagine that they're just blown away and they're like, well, let's see how this goes. And they go back to Nazareth and the child grows and becomes strong and he's filled with wisdom and the grace of God. I want to I just ask you again, what do you... What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Are you, are you waiting for the Messiah? Are you waiting for the Messiah to come into your life and change things up, shake things up? Because here's the, here's the beauty. Like, the Messiah has come. Uh, he has already come. And, and if you're a disciple of Jesus, you already have everything that you need in this life. You really do. You have everything that you need. And so that simplifies our entire existence. 
You know, from now on, all I exist to do is to bring glory to God and to bring other people along with me to show them Christ, to point them towards Christ. It simplifies my entire life. I'm not worried about my finances. I'm not worried about where I live. I'm not worried about the things that I eat because everything has been simplified under the umbrella of God is shown glory through my life, through my existence. And so what are, what are, if that's not your disposition, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? This is the truest form of joy. And now I understand that there are also there are folks in this room that have not bowed the knee to Jesus. There is something that's keeping you from saying, you know what, I'm all in. I want to live for him. And so what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? There is no greater joy that can be found than in this life. Does it mean that everything will be easy? No, of course not. But it, it, this is the only way to joy and to contentment. So that even in difficult time, uh, like Anna experienced her whole life, she was able to find this joy and then share the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, for those of us that, yeah, 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 Josh, I'm with you. I'm, I'm on board. I got it. I'm, I'm 100%. I understand. Stop talking so intensely because I don't really need this from you. You know, okay, if that's where you're at, I just, I want to encourage you. You know, do you have... Kind of like Kai was saying, uh, this sense of wonder about who Jesus is and the anticipation of Christmas, is that the kind of anticipation that you have as you walk through your regular regular life? I think that, you know, it's probably a chance, there's a chance that we've lost a little bit of the wonder of Christmas over the years. Maybe you see it in your children or your grandchildren. You know, there's just this sense of wonder that comes alive in their hearts in this time of the year especially. But we ought to have that same sense of wonder as we're walking through life. And that, that, that doesn't mean that you have to be surprised by everything like, wow, a Christmas tree! You know, like, wow, Christmas carols! And like, it's November 1st and you're hearing Christmas music and the stores are like, wow, Christmas! No, that's not what I'm saying. Like, but do you, what do you notice? What excites you? What, what gets you fired up about living the life of a disciple? Hopefully it's, it's Jesus. Hopefully it's who Jesus is and, and what he's like and the ability that, for your life to be different and totally changed and completely different than it was before. Hopefully that excites you. Hopefully learning more about Jesus and having little small victories in your own character and in your own habits and in your own life as you get more and more and more like Jesus along the way, hopefully that excites you. Or, or have you gotten to a place where you're just like, yeah, 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 Jesus, he's wonderful. I don't really need to know anymore. So uh, I, I love, um, my, my son has, uh, he, he's got this new saying. Um, and and you, you just try to imagine you know, the life, uh, or the world through the lens of a four-year-old. And you, you just, there's things that you haven't experienced yet, obviously. Um, but my, my son has gotten into this habit, he has this phrase uh, if he recognizes a word in a sentence that uh, Michelle or I uses around him that he, that, that he doesn't recognize, so there's, there's a word in the sentence, he doesn't know what it means, uh, he'll just stop us and he'll ask what that word means, but he says it in kind of a cute way. Uh, um, so the sentence, uh, most recently I remember him saying this, uh, Michelle like, was throwing some things away in the house and said, oh yeah, we got to get rid of that. And then Caleb just looks up to her, can you tell me all about rid? <laughs> can you tell me all about rid 
And then, uh, then we have to kind of like stop and then, you know, define the word and talk it through. But he does this every couple of days where I'll, I'll say a word and I, you know, I don't uh, d- like dumb down my language around Caleb. I just speak and then, uh, you know, I make him kind of fend for himself. And then so, what, but, 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 but that has helped a lot in his vocab. And so he'll be like, he'll be like, uh, uh, what is cornucopia? You tell me all about cornucopia. And, I, and I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. So cornucopia is when you... I don't know, he's never, not, he's not used that word, but you get what I'm saying. Like, I'll just throw out a word, and can you tell me all about that? And, and so we ought to have that same, you know, that same kind of lens where we're looking through the, wor- the, the, the world through this lens of amazement when it pertains to Jesus. God, can you, can you help me understand everything about your glory? Help me understand everything about your salvation. God, help me, help me understand your forgiveness God, help me understand that my security really can be in you. God, help me not be anxious about anything. I don't get that. God, God help me not worry about what I'm going to wear, because I do. God, help me, help me to not think about tomorrow, because I, I do worry. Can you have that sense of awe about the things that you don't yet understand? What are you waiting for to have that sense of awe? That's the only way that you'll have the growth that is required for you to get deeper in your relationship with Jesus. You know, I, I think it is healthy for us to foster the creativity in our life. Not just the big things, but the small things too. The beauty of asking questions is that once you get an answer, it often opens up a new set of questions based on the new information that you learned. Once you learn about one thing about God, you can then open the door to a whole new world of questions to ask as you learn more and more about who God is. I want to end this morning uh, by reading a proverb in uh, Proverbs 2. This is a good general advice, um, but I I think it certainly pertains to this uh, topic that we've been talking about this morning, Um, challenging yourself to foster a sense of wonder about who God is and what he can do in your life. In Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1, it says this. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. I encourage you this morning, seek after God with everything that you've got. Foster a sense of wonder about your relationship with God and seek Him more every day. Amen.